So let's get to this morning's message. And um, this morning we're going to look at the third chapter in the third week from the book of Isaiah that we've been working through. So let me find all the maths buffs out here, if you can pick up the sequence. So if we did 45, we then did 55, we then this morning going to preach 65, what would come after 65? Well, it would be 75, but yes, if we did preach 75, Isaiah 75, you all have permission to leave this church, but there's no such chapter as Isaiah 75, that would be heresy, and I'd be making up a whole new chapter of the Bible, you'd be free to leave this church. Um, But yeah, we've been working through Isaiah, those three chapters, Isaiah 45, 55 this morning, Isaiah 65, Um, and let me just give you a quick little feedback or reminder of what we did go through. So in Isaiah 45, we looked at the gospel anticipated. And um, we looked at how God reveals his plan to save his people. Now, amazingly, we see from the beginning of creation, God's always had a plan throughout history to save his people. We see the very moment sin comes into the world, when Adam and Eve disobey God and they sin, we see in that moment God says, speaking about Jesus and speaking about the devil, he says about the snake, he says, you will bruise his heel, you'll bruise the heel of Jesus, but he'll crush your head. Meaning Jesus, the Savior, the promised Savior will come and overcome evil, overcome sin, overcome death. That happens the very moment sin comes in. God announces, I've got a plan to save my people. We then see the likes of Noah coming along and God says, who is righteous? Noah's righteous. Well, as judgment comes on the earth, who could save some people? Noah will be the one who builds the ark. And there's this picture of of a, a plan of salvation in the midst of judgment. We see later on God chooses a man in Abraham and says, I will be your God and I will save you. I will protect you. I will bless you. And that becomes his family and Abraham's family becomes the nation of Israel. And God says to the nation of Israel, I will be your God and I will save you and I will bless you and I will protect you. And he does that. He does that when he saves them out of Egypt. If you know some of the Old Testament, Israel was slaves in Egypt and God miraculously saves them. That's a picture of God's saving plan. We see how God saves Israel continually in many, many battles. In Isaiah 45, we spoke about how God even planned to save Judah from captivity in Babylon by using a worldly pagan king called Cyrus. God says, I'll even use someone who doesn't even know me or believe in me to free my people. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus comes along with the final promise, the final fulfillment of God's salvation plan. But we see it right throughout history. God's plan is to save us, his people. And we see in Isaiah 45, it's been anticipated. All right. Isaiah 55, then last week, we looked at the gospel being offered. And we looked where God has this incredible invitation to us. He says, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. Those who thirst are people who are in difficulty, in bondage, in sin, in captivity. Those who are struggling in life. Those who are falling to the wayside. Those who are lost and hopeless. And that means that that's, that's everyone. Scripture's clear. For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. So all of us are those who thirst. Therefore, God's invitation is to everyone. He says, come to me if you thirst and I'll give you water and I'll give you milk and I'll give you wine. He's promising us a gospel, a salvation that is complete and freeing, that is satisfying, a gospel that is to be enjoyed. That's what God offers to us. He says it's freely given. He says those without money come and get from me. Because some people come before God and say, I want to be saved, but how much will it cost me, Jesus? How much must I pay? 
Jesus says it's the free gift of grace that I give to you because he pays the price for us. And so we looked at that last week, the gospel offered. And then today we're going to look at Isaiah 65. We'll look at how the gospel is consummated. It's a big word, but what it means is how the gospel is completed, brought to full completion, fully fulfilled, fully achieved. Now you might ask, but Greg, hasn't that happened yet? Isn't the gospel done and it's over and we've received it all? Well, not exactly. There's more. There's more in the final stages of salvation that is to come when we sing about a living hope and what we still get to wait for. There's a lot of good things still to come. If you think you've had the best of the gospel, you haven't quite. There's still more and greater things to come, which we'll look at today. But we refer often to three tenses of salvation. Um, And they're, they're big words, they're technical words, but they're not too difficult to understand. We talk about justification, we talk about sal- um, sanctification, and we talk about glorification. Now what those three mean, quite quickly, is when you come to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, that's justification. You are justified, which means you're made righteous. You've been made right with God. You are forgiven. All your sin has been forgiven. And it's been removed from you. And it's all because of Jesus paying the price for you when he died on that cross. There's this picture of of a double substitution that will take place when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. So Jesus says, I'm going to take your sin and put it upon me. The wrath of God was poured upon Jesus on that cross because he was carrying your sin and my sin. And the sin of all people throughout all history. Jesus said, I'm taking it. I'm I'll be your substitute, all right? But there's a double substitution. Because he doesn't just take our sin from us, he then gives us something in return. And what he gives to us is his righteousness. Upon us, Jesus says, I'm gonna give you my righteousness and my holiness and my perfection. The identity of Jesus, the perfection of Jesus, the authority of Jesus gets put upon us when he takes away our sin. He doesn't just leave us empty. We now have Jesus in our lives, and that makes us justified. We didn't talk about sanctified, sanctification. That's where we are now. So us growing as Christians, us maturing, we keep learning, we keep changing to become more and more like Jesus every single day. We will see a lot of good things in us, a lot of good changes. There's a lot of good works that you and I will start to do. Unfortunately, we, we, we do still sin. That still unfortunately happens. That's part of us growing. That's what glorification wants to get rid of, the ability to sin. But we still do sin. We still get things wrong. But we continually are growing. And you'll, you'll know your journey of maturing as a Christian. That's your sanctification. And then lastly, we speak about glorification. That's when salvation is complete. When Jesus will come again, all will be judged in, 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 in different forms. We'll see a new heaven and a new earth. We'll look a little bit at that this morning, which becomes our home. This new heaven and new earth, sin cannot exist any longer. There'll be no more evil that can exist there. There'll be no sickness, no pain. We will live with God peacefully forever as he planned from the beginning. That is the gospel complete. And that is what we're looking at when we talk about the gospel being consummated. So today we're gonna look at how Isaiah wants to prepare us for the complete work of salvation and give us some warning to us and to the world, to the nations, about what God is offering to us. So in this chapter this morning, we're going to see God's going to contrast two types of people, right? He's going to refer to those who accept God's promise. There are those who accept his promise of salvation. 
God's way of saving, meaning you're accepting Jesus. You accept him as Lord and Savior. All right, Jesus says, there's no other way to the Father except through me. That's God's plan of salvation. It's Jesus. There's no other way. Um, and so God says, there's those who will believe in my plan. Those who will trust my plan, they'll accept my plan. And when they accept my plan of salvation, there'll come blessing upon them. There'll come a freedom. There'll come life to the full. There's this promise of being a part of his kingdom, this new heaven and earth that we spoke about. But then contrasted to them, we'll have those who reject God's plan. So there are those who hear God's plan of salvation, but they choose to ignore it or to disobey it or to reject it, or to disagree with God. God warns such people that by their choice, they will not be saved. But instead, they'll face a severe judgment. One that will find them guilty of sin, and in opposition to God, and therefore there's death, there's complete separation from God. And instead of a new home in, in heaven, in a new heaven and new earth is hell, instead of mercy, there will come judgment, this morning we're going to talk a little bit about God's judgment. I'm going to say that again. This morning we're going to talk about God's judgment. I'm just checking that no one's leaving. Because that is not an attractive message to draw the people into a local church. I probably second after tithing would be preaching about God's wrath and judgment. But nobody left. That's a good thing. Are you happy to sit in and talk a little bit about, a little bit about God's judgment? I think it's a good thing that we do. It's a good thing that we would be a church that are happy to talk about the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Because that's what makes God righteous, is that God would deal so harshly with evil and sin and darkness. If God was um, uh, kind towards those things, he would be an unrighteous God. But because of God's judgment, because of God's wrath, it makes him righteous against all evil. So don't be uncomfortable about it. It's, 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 it's biblical. It's part of who God is. And we need to be able to accept that. All right. So I'm glad no one's leaving. That's a good sign. All right. So let's read the chapter. Uh, along the way, I'm going to just pause and make a few points. Uh, turn in your Bible to Isaiah 65. Some of the verses will appear. In fact, all the verses will appear up on the screen. Um, but I encourage you, take some notes, circle some words. It's going to get a little bit technical, but stick with me. There's a lot more in this chapter than what I'm going to be able to share in the next few moments. Um, the encouragement is go home, read through it, ask God, how does this apply to me? But I'm going to give a few points that I feel would stand out for us as a church. All right. So Isaiah 65, verse 1. Let's read. This is God speaking. He says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices, a people who provoke me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks, who sit in tombs and spend the night in secret places, who eat pig's flesh and broth of tainted meat is in their vessels, who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am too holy for you. Let's pause there for a moment. Immediately in this chapter, we see that God declares his desire to be found by us. And here God is saying, I want to be found by all people. He says, even nations who do not know my name, even those who are not called by my name, I reach out to you and I say, I'm here to be found. Come and find 
me. God wants to be found. In Jeremiah 29, 13, there's this promise that God makes. He says, if you seek me, but if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. Do you believe this? But do you understand it? Because it's easy to believe it. But do you understand what this means? You see, we're not talking about a symbol that we are to go after, a religious icon that we are to pursue. We're not talking about a moral code that we are called to follow. I've got to follow a new law or a new Christian uh, method of life. That's not what you ought to, to pursue. We're not asking about an idea that you need to entertain in your mind, some kind of idea of a God that you are to try and follow and entertain. No, we're talking about God, the only living God, the creator of all things, the only God who is eternal, the only God who is glorious. It is this God who says that you and I, we can meet him and we can know him. And he wants that. He's not reluctant to you and says, well, you know, like some, some superstars would be reluctant. Oh, okay, fine, let's take a picture. Yes, I'll sign you quickly. All right, if I do need to say hello to you, let me do it for the press. God's not like that. God is the celebrity who says, can I have a picture with you? Can you come to me? Can I spend time with you? Can I come to your home? God is desiring us to pursue him. And he says, if you do it, you will find him. And when we get that, that should blow our minds away that this God wants us to meet with him and know him. And when we get this, we should passionately pursue him. That should be our response. So we, let's believe God's request that we can find him. God then goes on to mention rebellious people and those who choose to deny God. And he, he brings them up front and he, and he refers to some of their rebellion. Look at how some of the ways that they rebelled. And then we'll look at some of the ways that we rebel. Okay. So he says that these guys choose their own way, which many of us as people do. Right? We say, God, your way looks good, but I think there's a better way. But these guys said, we'll do things our own way. It says that they would sacrifice and worship to these fertility gods. In Isaiah's day, there were these religious gardens where the people would go and worship these fertility gods. And um, they're worshiping false gods, but that's what they would do. That was, that was um, disobedient to God. He says that they would use bricks for altars instead of uncut stones. God's order to people was to build altars with uncut stones so that no people could say, I did this of my design. This was my good work. Look how good my work is in building something for God. God said, no, it must not be by your hand. It must be uncut stones. Again, there's a disobedience to what God has asked. It says how they all go to graves and seek their advice from the dead. Many people do that today still. Many people would talk to their long lost loved ones and wonder how they're doing and say, just, just guide me, be a guardian angel over me. That's, that's not God's truth. As much as it might sound comforting to you, but it's not God's truth that we would speak to the dead and ask them to be our, our wisdom, our advice, our guide in the future. But these guys would do that. They would go sit in the graves and speak to the dead. Do not go sit in a cemetery. It is frightening. I've never done it. I'm pretty sure it's frightening. There's horror movies that are built around that storyline. So don't do it. It then says that they would eat forbidden foods. It does mention uh, pig's flesh there. So we're allowed to eat bacon. God freed that one for us. So the 99.9% .9 of you out there who love bacon, you're okay. Enjoy it. For the 1.1% of you, try it. You might like it. I don't know. 
but we're allowed to. But they were disobedient to God's instruction in that day that they were eating things they weren't supposed to. Again, there's a disobedience to God, all right? The question then for us is what are the areas we disobey God in? Where do we go to? What are the false gods we trust in? Well, what about humanity? We start to trust in the opinions of men and women around us far more than the thought of God. We'll start to change what the Bible says because men and women feel that their way is far better than God's described way, his preferred way, his defined way in Scripture. We'll start to listen to people more than we would listen to God. We trust in humanity more than God. Some of us will sacrifice a lot towards money. You'd give up your time, your energy. You'd give up the best of you in order to serve money, to get money, to make more of it. And that becomes worship. And you know what God says? You cannot serve both God and money. Some of us have hope within politics. You believe your freedom will come from a good political leader. You'll put all your future, your safety, your security upon a governing party, upon a government system, a political system. Some of us will pursue comfort over God. So your desire in life is to live a comfortable life and you feel you've done well. But in the pursuing comfort you could be rejecting God there's so many things that you and I today still do um, that would make us rebellious towards God disobedient towards God but yet God still says that he will hold out his hand to these people he'll save them he says my hand is still out to save them should they choose to come to him and yet today still God offers that same hand he chooses to save all of us anyone who's rebellious right let's keep reading it then says these are a smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. Behold, it's written before me, I will not keep silence, but I will repay. I will indeed repay into their lap both your iniquities and your father's iniquities together, says the Lord. Because they made offerings on the mountains and insulted me on the hills, I will measure into their lap payments for their former deeds. God's starting to speak about the judgment that would come upon them. There's a judgment that comes upon our rebelliousness, upon our rebellion. Those who are rebellious towards God, there's a punishment that God says will come because you're rejecting being saved. You're rejecting salvation. But a point I want to make here also is that God is not impressed by religious expressions. So it speaks about how these guys would go upon the mountains and make their sacrifices and, and often it would be to false gods. But even those towards God, sometimes we would... We would feel we're doing well by our religious expressions. We might look religious to the world, but God is only pleased by our obedience to his truth. God's not interested by how religious you look. He's more interested by the obedience you show towards his truth. We see Jesus does this in the Gospels. He's got the religious leaders in front of them, and he calls them this. He says, you whitewashed tombs. You whitewashed tombs. And what he means is on the outside, you look so good. You've got these beautiful white walls and you look so splendid and clean and you put this persona to the world that you're good and you're all religious. But he says, actually inside, you're just a tomb, which means you're rotting bones, uh, you're, you're rotting flesh, you're, you're dead. You're just bones. There's, there's nothing alive inside of you. God is not impressed by how religious we look on the outside. It's our obedience within that actually uh, is far more important to God. And Jesus calls out such people. He says, you whitewashed tombs. And there's a warning there for us. The caution is that we shouldn't try to look religious. Because God sees right through it all. Just being at church could look religious. doesn't mean you're obeying God. 
in your day-to-day life just because you know how to say amen at the right time or you sing songs or that you can even stand on a platform and preach doesn't mean that you are in obedience to God. It could look good on the outside. And I, I have to challenge myself and say, Lord, please may I not be a whitewashed tomb. But here's the challenge. Avoid these fancy religious expressions that look good on the outside. Check our hearts all the time. Lord, I choose to obey your truth in what you ask me to do. All right, let's keep reading. Verse eight. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster and they say, do not destroy it for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks and the valley of Acre a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. Now God's starting to speak about the good he wants to give to his people. But what he's referring to here is God's ability to bring about renewal. God is a God who renews. He brings new life. He brings new things to us, a newness. He brings a life to things that seem lost or abandoned. And he starts by referring to people. He says that he will bring a renewal to people. He'll give life to them. Those who are lost, those who are abandoned, those who are uh, rejected and alone, those who are desolate. God says to those people, I will find you and I will rescue you. From those who seem like they're a minority and will be forgotten, God says, even those people, I'll come and find you and I'll bring you to me. I will renew you to life. I wanna encourage you this morning, if, if you're feeling alone, if you're maybe feeling lost or forgotten, if you're feeling like you're on your own in some way and you're out in the wilderness all by yourself, this verse must speak to you because God is saying that he knows who you are and he will find you. But when he finds you, God says he wants to renew you. He wants to rescue you and give you purpose and identity and life. God brings back all people to life, all people. And then he says, He'll bring renewal to places for his people to live and dwell in. And he refers to some of the places, but one he mentions there is the Valley of Acre. And now the Valley of Acre is, is mentioned in the Old Testament when during the Exodus, there was a big sin that was performed and a whole family is judged because of a sin that is committed. And this family is judged in this valley. So this valley has the name, the Valley of Trouble, the Valley of Difficulty. And God says, even in that place, God will bring renewal, that in that place will become a place of peace, of prosperity, of fruitfulness. God is saying that when things feel lost, when things feel defeated and desolate and gone, God says, I'll bring it back to life. The people I'll bring back to life and the places I'll bring back to life for those people to dwell and live in. God is a God of renewal and that's what he's promising to do for you and for me. Believe in that. Verse 11. Then it says, but you who forsake the Lord, those of you who forget my holy mountain, who sets a table for fortune and fill cups of mixed wine for destiny. Again, just look there, there's the worship of other things. And here, uh, fortune and destiny means some people were believing more in good luck and fate. Some of us do that still. You might be quite superstitious and you're trusting in good luck and you, you're trusting in fate above God's plans and purposes for your life. You might say, oh, this is my fate. The, the stars were aligned, Romeo and Juliet, you know? 
The stars were aligned. This is what it was meant to be. No, no, God is the God of your life and your future. He's the author of your life. No stars, no fate, no fortune, no good luck or bad luck. All right? You're free of that. Verse 12, he says, I will destine you to the sword, all of you who shall bow down to the slaughter, because when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. See the choices people get to make? God called and you chose to not listen. You chose to disobey. God says, I've, I've, I've reached out to you, but you've chosen to reject him. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my servants shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servants shall sing for gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for the breaking of spirit. Can you see the contrast between the two people? Pretty sure I know what side you want to be on, right? And the side that you want to be on it's all about the choice you make with God's offering to you and to me. All right. Verse 15. You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse. And the Lord God will put you to death. But his servants he will call by another name. So that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I mentioned a pointer that stands out for me. Um, so God starts to introduce this picture of this new heaven, this new earth. This finality of his kingdom coming and, and this, this, this kingdom of heaven and kingdom of earth coming together to become God's kingdom where the promise to his people would be this will be your home where God will dwell, where we would, we would, we would not remember all those old things but there would be great joy and celebration and peace and hope. But right at the start by verse 15 it speaks about a name and names in, 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 in the Bible are really important. There was great value in being given a name. People would seek a name. But a name would, would, would often give a person identity. It would give you purpose. In the Bible, a name would even give you destiny. You know, Jesus' name means he will save. That's his destiny. His, his destiny. Israel means he who wrestles with God. It speaks about what, what they've been through. But a name was often sought for. And when a name was taken away from you, or if you were not given a name, that was considered judgment. That was considered um, um, a judgment placed upon you that you did not have a name. And um, here God says, I'll give my people a new name, but those who don't know me, I'll take a name away. Now, I want you to use your imagination here quickly because imagine that day you come before God, right? You come before God and imagine God had to ask of you, whose name are you coming here with? Whose name are you carrying? What name do you have? So I'll use me as an example. He says, whose name are you coming with? I'll say, well, my name's Gregory. It's in your book, right? No. Okay, well, some people call me Greg. In fact, I'm Greg most of my life. Greg, no. Um, what about, like some people get my name wrong and they'll call me like Craig or something weird. I mean, it happens throughout my life. Maybe it's the wrong spelling of my name. Nope, that's not the other. 
What about like a nickname like Little G? So maybe in here, Glenn is Big G. Maybe I'm Little G. Nope, not that either. Or maybe it's that name my sister called me, but that's not pronounceable in heaven. You can't say that word in heaven. That, that name wouldn't be accepted either. None of these names would be accepted. But there's one that will be. There's only one name when we come before the Father that will be accepted, that carries authority, that carries salvation, that carries an acceptance for us to come to heaven. That's the name of Jesus. And the good news is that we are given that name when we are saved. Do you remember that picture of that double substitution? When Jesus gives us his righteousness, he gives us his, his holiness, he gives us his authority, he gives us his name. That we now live and move in the name of Jesus. That one day when we come to heaven and God sees me, I say, I come in the name of Jesus. And the Father says, that name is righteous, that man is holy, there's an authority here, that's right. Come on in. The point is, your name will carry no authority. The name that you build of yourself, no matter how fancy your business card might look, that carries zero weight the day that you come before the Father. None. As much as you try and build your reputation, doesn't matter how many times you're person of the year on a Time magazine, your name and my name will have zero value when it comes to heaven. But God says, to my people I give a new name, one that is the name above every other name, and that name is Jesus. And when you come before the Father, you say, I come in the name of Jesus, and you and I will be accepted. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. God gives us his name and we need his name. Paul says that my identity is hidden in Christ. And he speaks about how all that he achieved counts for nothing except for knowing Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. That needs to be our attitude. And this needs to be a freedom that you and I will live in. That we live and move in Jesus, in the authority of Jesus, in the power of Jesus in the acceptance and the freedom of Jesus throughout our lives. And even the day we come before the Father, we say, I come in, this, in the name of Jesus. The chapter then ends. And it ends by pointing to and giving a picture of the new heaven and earth where God will live in peace and relationship with all his people. His plan of salvation will come to a full completion. There are people in this world who will travel throughout the world trying to find a home that they could call peaceful and filled with hope and a place where they could feel safe and comfortable and thrive. You'll know South Africans, you'll know many South Africans. They leave this home to find a new home. And you'll know the names. They'll go to Canada, New Zealand, Australia. They'll go to all over. They'll go all over thinking that wherever they go on this earth, they'll find a home that is peaceful and good. The reality is there's no place on this earth that is free from evil and sin. But the good news for you and for me is that God promises there is a place that will come, this new heaven and new earth, when, he's, when he's, his gospel is complete, when the kingdom comes to full completion, when Jesus comes again. That is what we wait for. That is what we hope for. That is why the church exists, to tell this world, be ready, be prepared, for the king is coming for his people, for his bride, and this new kingdom is coming. Will you be a part of it? Or will you reject it? Will you obey God's plan of salvation? Or will you ignore it and run away from it? Will you choose life? Or will you choose death? That is the message that Isaiah is bringing to the world. And that is the message that remains today, in this day, the 13th of December, 2020. For every single city, every single town, every single tribe and culture, God comes to save. Will you believe? Will you accept? Will you be saved? Look what he says here. He says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem 
and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in, uh, in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruits. They shall not build and another inhabits. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's uh, food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Let me end by summarizing it with Romans 6.23. Summarizes it really well. It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God had to speak to his people then and throughout history. Remember, God's plan of salvation has always been there. But God's now speaking to his people saying, I'm offering you a free gift of salvation. That's eternal life in Jesus. And the choice for you and for me and for the world and the choice we are offered is, will we accept God's offering? His, 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 his salvation plan, this free gift. And there's many who reject, many who ignore, many who deny it. And sadly, very sadly, there's a judgment that will come that God speaks of. Because come that day, they'll come with another name. Come that day, they'll have their own sins to pay for. But for those who accept God's plan, will come in the name of Jesus and say, my sins have been paid for, but not by me, but by the only one who could pay for them, and that's Jesus. He's paid for them. And I come before you free, righteous, and holy. And God's plan for those people is so, so good. God's plan for us, his church, is so good. There's blessing now, and there's incredible blessing to come. We need to believe in it, trust in it. Don't follow the false gods. Don't pursue other, other, other attempts to draw you away from God. But pursue him continually and trust in his promise. Believe in his promise. Have hope. There's living hope. We get to make a choice, death or life, and the encouragement is, Choose life, choose life, and that is found in Jesus. So I wanna pray for us this morning. I wanna pray for anyone this morning who perhaps you don't know where you stand. Perhaps you don't know if you've chosen life or if you've chosen death. You don't know if you've accepted God's plan or if you've rejected it. You don't know where you stand. But this morning, God comes with a hand open that he says right in the beginning of this chapter, I come with my hands to be found. I'm here, here I am, he says, here I, here I am. That's you, I want to pray for you. And then I want to pray for us. For those of you who know that you've accepted God's plan, we need to be the voice of Isaiah today. This message has not died. It remains. But you and I need to go and tell the world, there's a salvation plan. There's a way forward. There's a new heaven and earth that's coming. And I want to encourage you, believe in it, believe in it. But be warned, should you reject the salvation that comes a judgment, it'll be harsh and heavy. Would you mind standing? I'm gonna ask you if you wouldn't mind closing your eyes. It's not a religious thing, but what it does do is it helps you just not think about the person around you and maybe just think about your life. 
Think about the gods that perhaps you're pursuing right now. Perhaps think about the choices that you need to be making right now. The promises of God apply to you individually right now. The warnings of God apply to you individually right now. God's plans are for you individually right now. So I'm not asking, I'm not, genuinely I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Eyes are closed. But if you have not, if you do not know that you've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you know you haven't and you're not sure where you stand in this picture, if you don't know whose name you're coming with before God someday, but this morning you're saying, Jesus, I want that substitution. I want you, Jesus, to take on my sin and I want to take on you into my life. I want your name, Jesus, to be on the throne of my heart. I want your name to be the name above every other name in my life. I want to pray with you this morning. I want to pray that you would accept that, believe it, and do it. And all you have to do is ask God and say, God, do this in me. Jesus, do this in me. Would you mind just raising your hand? That's all I'm going to ask you to do. If you, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, that you would put up your hand and I'll pray with you. All right, I see a couple of hands. I'm going to pray. And as I pray for you, Would you pray and just ask God? All you need to do is God says, here I am, here I am, come to me. Just say, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm here, doing me what you need to do. So Lord, for those people here this morning who don't know you, you know that by their rejection of you, there's a judgment that waits. But that's not your desire. You desire to be found today. Lord Jesus, I pray, as their hand goes up, as their heart goes up, as their mind's telling them to respond, Lord, I pray this morning, you see it, of course you see it, Lord, because you're helping that hand go up. Jesus, save them. Show them who you are. May your name, Jesus, be on their lives and may they come and know you as Lord and Savior. Do that wonderful work in them, I pray. And then, Lord, for us, for us, your church, I pray, Lord, for the Isaiahs here to be raised up. May we be a voice for you, Jesus, in this world. May we, Lord, be those who speak prophetically into our city, into our nation, and into the nations, Lord, about what you are saying, about your salvation, about the coming judgment of this new heaven and earth, Lord, that's your kingdom that belongs to us in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray you use every single one of us, wherever we go, that we would speak your words. I pray over this holiday time, Lord, as we're the family, Lord, that we'd find those moments that just fall in our laps to tell someone about who you are, Jesus. Just to pray for someone, just to speak into their lives, Lord. Use us, Lord, for good things, we pray. Thank you that you offer us life, Lord. We come, we come to you, Lord, and we take it. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.